Lord, why should we gain from his reward? To which the only answer can be, because the Father loved us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, Father, we thank you for the reminder today that you have proved your love for us, that there is no question when we look at the cross of Jesus that you gave up, that you sacrificed your own son to bring us into your family, to rescue us from our sin and waywardness. So, Father, we turn to you and we ask now that you would feed us from your word. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of Jesus. We ask you to come and make your word that you breathe, make it alive for us and make our hearts able to receive what you have for us today, that we might learn uh, what it means to join in uh, the ministry of healing in all of its forms and to become a healing church for the sake of him who died and rose for us, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good morning. You may be seated. You can see uh, lately we've been trying to be consistent with sermon titles. And so uh, today's sermon title is uh, how, or, uh, Becoming a Healing Church. And I believe that we have been in the process of being a healing church in many ways. But I want to really explore the text from the gospel today because I think there's much to reflect on there. But um, I'm reminded almost on a daily basis of uh, the fact that our world is in need of healing and many kinds of healing. I opened up my browser in the first website uh, ad that popped up the other day. It was an ad of, uh, about uh, young men dropping out of college at alarming, unprecedented rates. And it showed a picture of somebody that they were interviewing. And he kind of just had a downtrodden face in the quote under it was, I just feel so lost. See, we live in a world where people feel so lost. They're confused about the chaos that's going on. They're confused, but many people don't understand that we're in one of the greatest spiritual wars in history right now all over the face of the planet. And there's a sort of a sense of desperation, confusion, anxiety, fear, and all that. To add on top of that, all of the physical things that come with human life of bodies that are deteriorating and encountering uh, sickness and illness and all of that. And so I'm reminded so often of the necessity of the call on the church to be a healing church, not just us at Good Shepherd, but the church worldwide to be a force of healing. Um, We read in the pages of the Old Testament when God calls the Israelites, he says, I'm I'm Jehovah Rophe, God, your healer. And he makes a promise with them that if they follow him and obey his commands, he's going to shield them from diseases and afflictions. So we see God and we see him do healing miracles in several occasions in the Old Testament. But then we get to the New Testament, to Jesus in the flood, the dam breaks and the flood just begins to flow. And it continues on in the ministry of the church in the book of Acts after Jesus has ascended to heaven and poured out his spirit upon us. So the spirit of the healer is in you. Okay, and I want to make some reflections on Mark chapter 10 today as we think about the idea of what it means to be a healing church. First, I want to briefly mention that on um, Wednesday of this past week, I was able to to have a Zoom conversation with Father John Tao, who was in uh, Nairobi. He's our he's our our South Sudan guy and leader and partner in ministry over there. And he was in Nairobi, so he had a Wi-Fi connection. I was able to catch up with him, and it was it was it was really quite compelling to hear of everything that's going on in South Sudan. But one of the things he said to me he said, uh, Father Cameron, he has a very gentle, humble voice. Father Cameron, I've been watching your teachings on healing, and I'm so glad you're teaching that. But he said, my prayer for you is that you will hands on the sick and that they will recover, but that you will also see that people's hearts need healing and that you will be a force for the gospel to see people's hearts healed. 
And I, and I believe that that is a call, and I believe that that was a word for me, but if it's a word for me, it's a word for all of us. If it's a word for the shepherd, it has implications for the flock. And so we want to be a people who recognize the need for healing in all of the many ways that people need it, not just sickness of body, though that is one big thing. Let's look at Mark chapter 10 this morning and just start right at the beginning uh, in verse 46. It says that they came to Jericho... And uh, Jesus was with his disciples, but then he's also, there's sort of the outer circle, the large crowd with him. And they encounter a blind man named Bartimaeus. And it tells us that he was sitting by the roadside begging. So it tells us everything about his social status, which is probably most likely a result to his illness of blindness, that he's had to resort to uh, begging for alms on the streets. This was common in that world. If you had a handicap or an illness and you didn't have immediate family members to take care of you, you begged for your well-being. And so Bartimaeus is sitting there. He's a street dweller. Doesn't tell us that he lived a particularly holy life. I like to use my imagination and think of him as kind of a scruffy homeless man with a beard who smokes cheap cigarettes and kind of mumbles to himself and all of that, because I know that Jesus loves people like that. But the point is that this isn't a man of high status in society. This is not a man of uh, religious dignity. This is a street-dwelling uh, beggar who cannot see. And yet God wants to show forth his love to this man, meeting him where he is in life. How many people have you and I passed by or avoided praying for because we thought that they just had that vibe of being way too sinful or screwed up? That they would not really be a people that would want to be prayed for. Sometimes we make assumptions about people and we miss opportunities because it's those sometimes those most broken people that realize that they need help and that they are actually open to being ministered to. And so the first point that I want to make right here in this first verse is this, and I'm going to make about four or five of these throughout the, the message, but one is that we will become a healing church when we see every person as worthy of the time and attention it takes to share the gospel. The good news that sets the captives free and that is good news for the poor, spiritually and physically poor. Good news for the blind and the lame. We will become a healing church when we see every person as worthy of the time and attention it takes to share the gospel. Moving on in the passage, verse 47, it says, When he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout. Everybody say, Shout! He began to shout, and that really means shout, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So it's very clear that this man heard something about Jesus at some point in his past. And it it's letting us know that he must have paid attention to what he heard about Jesus. So just imagine, imagine Bartimaeus, he's sitting with a, a friend and uh, they're sitting in the street and they're begging. And this guy comes back from a meeting where Jesus was and he tells Bartimaeus, he said, Barty, Bart, you should see this guy, Jesus. He touches them and they're just healed instantly like that. It's amazing. And the most amazing thing is that when you look at his face, there's the most comforting, powerful, compassionate passionate gaze on his face as he heals people. It's like he's smiling at them. It's like he takes pleasure in healing people. It's amazing, Bart. You got to go see this guy. Maybe he can help you out. And by God's providence, somehow there was some kind of revelation given to Bartimaeus about Jesus. He knew just enough and he responded with faith. He said, I am going to get to him 
and get healed. How much more radical should the faith of those who actually have the entirety of the Gospels bound together in a book be than a man who maybe heard a snippet about who Jesus was? How much more radical should our faith be in him, in those who now on the other side of the cross are actually filled with his spirit and can be both recipients and vessels of his healing power? So when Bartimaeus shouts, um, I want to note that it's actually the cry for mercy is obviously specifically related to being healed. He's saying, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, there was a belief in the ancient Jewish world that, that, that the descendant of David who would come as the Messiah would possibly have healing power. That was a that was a tradition that was a traditional belief. And so that's probably where that comes from. But it's a cry for mercy. You see, I want to talk about this just for a minute. Um, we want to be a church that embraces healing and that runs after it with, with gusto and zeal and all of that. But there's some misunderstandings about healing sometimes in, in churches that believe in that and that, that believe in the charismata, the gifts of the spirit and healing. Healing, we have to realize it's not something that we're just entitled to. Okay, I've heard a lot of teachers teach that, you know, Isaiah 53 says by his or he carried our wounds and disease, our, our diseases and our pains on the cross. Therefore, we don't have to carry them. If we just have enough faith, we will get healed. Uh, if and then we they say things like by his stripes, I am healed. Therefore, if I declare it enough, I will be healed. I will walk in divine health. I don't buy it. We are not entitled to anything. But we are told to confidently approach a compassionate and merciful God who loves to give good gifts. Okay? And the cross did open up, open up the way into the presence of God where there is healing. Okay? So as much as that is concerned, that is true. That is true. But sometimes, sometimes I hear some, some Christians talking about healing as if it is some kind of entitlement. May it never be that we always approach God with humility and confidence that he desires to heal us. Because he has shown us his willingness to do so in the person of Jesus. So when we read and we study scripture about healing and things like that, we're not coming up with a formula that if we say enough verses or read enough verses or say them enough times that somehow it's going to attract God's uh, favor and then he's going to heal us in response to that. That's almost like healing uh, by works. And we reject salvation by works. And we want to reject healing by works too. Healing is grace, and sometimes reading scriptures on healing and stuff can help you meditate on God's healing character and build your faith, and that's good. But I said this before a couple months ago in a sermon, is we want to be careful of the overlap with the New Age idea and New Age spirituality of the law of attraction, that if you decree and declare things enough, there are these impersonal forces in the universe that will draw blessing to you. We want to make sure we don't fall into that, and some Christians do. Okay, that's an alarm. That's a red flag for me. I say now, yes, read the scriptures on healing, build up your faith, seek God in his mercy and his compassion to heal you or to heal the people that you're praying for. But but be careful with getting too formulaic or too or, or getting a sense of entitlement about healing. Okay, now it's very clear from the scriptures where we see the fullness of the father in the person of Jesus that every person who came to him was healed. Okay, so we can we can make the assumption that God's um, stance toward sickness is it's it's an enemy. Okay, he wants to destroy it. He wants to bring victory and release from it. But we don't want to fall into a place where we're actually telling people, well, if you're still not healed, you just you just the problem is with you. You just don't have enough faith. Well, sometimes we do need to grow in our faith. That can be true. But we have to be careful of the ramifications of some things that we believe about Scripture. Okay, We don't want to say, oh, you're not declaring and decreeing Scripture enough or with enough faith. If you did, you would get healing. 
We're getting too formulaic there. Okay? God is a personal God that we can trust for healing. We come to him with faith. We do things to build our faith. Sometimes we fast and things like that when we're seeking healing or a big breakthrough. And that's awesome because it brings us closer to the Lord, but it increases our faith in his goodness and his desire to heal. Okay, I just wanted to kind of go on that rabbit trail for just a minute because it's an, it's an important one. You see, sometimes perhaps we look at Bartimaeus and we see how bold he is, but sometimes our, it is true that our insecurity and our unbelief keeping, keep us from exercising bold faith, whether it's for healing or for anything else, any blessing that we need from God. Sometimes fear and insecurity can keep us like that. But I love Bartimaeus. I love Bartimaeus because he was not concerned about his reputation. He did not care. He was not. It was more important for him to get to Jesus. And so he threw any shred of dignity that he had left to the wind. And he just began, Jesus, son of David. You know, he's crying out. He's screaming. He's shouting. He does not care what this crowd. And there's a lot of people around, right? It says there's a multitude following Jesus. And he doesn't care. Now, here's the next point that I want to make. We will become a healing church when we sacrifice our religious dignity on the altar of bold, spirit-drenched prayers to take hold of the power of the gospel. Sometimes we're kind of like, we're kind of like, a, we're, we're like fearful little kind of, oh, so worried about what people think in our prayers. And, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you. And, and we're so afraid to pray out boldly. But in scripture, it describes prayer over and over again as supplications that are cried out with great boldness and fervency. Jesus, we read last week in our Bible reading from Hebrews, it said he cried out with fervent cries and tears. And he was heard because of his reverent posture towards the Father. Okay. You see, I read this quote the other day and, it, and it, I quoted it on Facebook and it really got people riled up, but I, it's OK. Um, the, the author said this prayers that do not move me will not move God. Prayers that do not move me will not move God, meaning that if I don't really have faith in my heart or any expectation or any really belief that God is listening to me and is going to respond, that he's good, that he's holy, that he's compassionate. Why is God going to be moved by me just muttering some words that are on a page? Okay, I love that because it challenged me. And I was like, this is so good. Like, this is so good. Sometimes A.W. Tozer used to say, pray until you pray. Okay, sometimes we get in the prayer closet and we go at it for 10 minutes and we're kind of like, I don't know. I just don't have the energy for it, but at least I did something. And then we kind of leave and sometimes we need to get in there. And, God, I'm so tired, but I need you to help me. I need the anointing of your spirit, Lord, to really get into your presence and pray because that's what you call me to, Lord. And we pray the scriptures to him. We do whatever it takes, but we need to pray until we pray. We need to have that boldness like Bartimaeus to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on my family, have mercy on the this person who I'm trying to lead to you, really crying out. Those are the kind of prayers that the father delights to answer. When my kids, oh man, when they know I bring ice cream home and it's in the freezer, they're not like, hey dad, would you possibly consider um, if, it's, um, if it's your will um, that we could have a small dish? Of, no, daddy, 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 can we have ice cream now? Can we have ice cream now? No, we haven't even eaten dinner yet. But we'll eat dinner, we'll still eat dinner. Can we have ice cream now? Right? There's a boldness, a childlike boldness that the father honors. Now, I don't honor that request for ice cream before dinner, but I do give him ice cream. Okay. And it brings me pleasure to do so. You hear what I'm saying? It brings me pleasure to answer their, their bold cries, their desperate cries. You see, too many churches today don't experience the power of God because they're too concerned with dignified programs and platforms. 
They're too concerned with following the, the schedule, getting things controlled, keeping things under lock and key and control because that's how we do it. Because that someone said to me once, well, this is the reverent way of doing it. <laughs> I'm like, have you read the New Testament? They were quite irreverent people in their worship. You see, the church is pretty and ornate, and that's good. I like pretty ornate. Obviously, I would not be in the, in the Anglican tradition if I didn't like smells and bells and candles and all those things. I think it reflects the beauty of heaven. It reflects the beauty of God, just like the tabernacle that the Israelites had reflected the beauty of heaven. It's just meant to be a reflection to draw our hearts up to God. But, but. The, the argument that, we, that church should be quiet and reverent and very formal because we're trying to be respectful to God. It's like, what is your image of God? Like he's some nasty taskmaster who's going to zap you if you like cross yourself the wrong way or something. Right. God is a father who delights. He wants to be even playful with us sometimes to come in and enjoy him and to cry out with boldness. See, this right here, when the saints are gathered together, the Spirit of God is in you. So when the saints gather together in an earthly building, this is like heaven and earth are meeting together right now. Right? Because the Holy Spirit is in each and every one of us. And so heaven and earth, just like they did in the Garden of Eden, are overlapping right here because the church is gathered. Just so happens to be in a church. But it's because the church is gathered. And this is the place of all places where we should be bold and, and, and free to just worship and cry out to God with boldness and fervency because our world needs our prayers right now. And we need each other's prayers and there's people in all of our lives that need our prayers. This is the place of all places where that should be happening. Now, uh, Bartimaeus in verse, uh, the, the air conditioning breeze always flips my Little thin Bible pages over. When Bartimaeus um, is rebuked and told to be quiet. Now, obviously, I'm kind of speaking of metaphorically here. The, the meaning of this passage is about a man who becomes actually both physically and spiritually healed to follow Jesus. But it's funny. I think there's a metaphorical thing here that we could do. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Hey, 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 hey. Remember the Pharisees in the synagogue with Jesus? No, hey, 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 no healing on the Sabbath day. Go do that. You've got six other days of the week to go do that, right? There's always a, a, a sort of a spirit that often works through other believers or other people that wants to stifle the voice and the work of the Holy Spirit in our midst. Okay? Oh, person who prayed, why do they pray out loud? Why do they got to pray out loud? Right? That's the spirit of the devil because the devil wants to put a sock in your mouth when it comes to prayer and crying out to God boldly. And sometimes he has, he uses human servants to do it. And that's, the Bible calls that the fear of man and it's wrong. And God calls us to not be afraid of man. Okay? Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me or my word. Okay, so but Bartimaeus is not going to put up with, you know, this. The, the crowd is probably thinking, don't you know, this is an esteemed rabbi. This is Jesus of Nazareth. You blind beggar go back to begging or whatever. And he is persistent. He's not going to be put. He's not. His fire is not going to be snuffed out by religious dignity or social dignity or whatever. He persists and he shouts all the more. It said he's like, son of David, <laughs> he's going to get louder. OK, when the devil tries to stifle your prayer life, you just need to get louder. Sometimes you need to get louder and press in deeper until you until you you break through. There's a there's a, a great picture of this. Sometimes um, 
I've never done bungee jumping, but I've heard from stories from people who bungee jump that when you first bungee jump, you are like, you jump off and you are just like, you're like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And you go and you go and you go and you drop and you drop and you drop. And then there's this threshold that you hit where you just feel free. And it's like, breakthrough. Now I am just soaring down and it's amazing and it's thrilling. Prayer is kind of like that. Sometimes we start, we're kind of uptight, we're really distracted. But when you pray until you pray, you hit that threshold where you're like, God, your glorious presence is so sweet, Lord. You are here. Thank you, God. I praise you. And then you just really begin to offer up those prayers with with fire. (laughs) It's hard to get there sometimes. It's hard to get there. These things are always beeping and dinging at us and all, all, all manner of distractions. But Bartimaeus is persistent. Now look at this. Look at verse 49. It says, Jesus stopped. I want everybody to say that with me. Jesus stopped. We will become a church of healing When we stop for the one. That one who looks alone and shy at our fellowship hour. The one who comes in looking overwhelmed with sadness or grief. The one sitting outside of Wawa desperately scratching another lottery ticket that doesn't bring about any true satisfaction and needs to hear the good news that Jesus Christ paid the price so that she could win the biggest lottery in all of human history. Never forget, Jesus stopped for you. You, Something about you, your desperation, your sinfulness, your brokenness, your separation from him that grieved him, it stopped him in his tracks and he looked at you. The Father's love was being poured out, his grace towards you. And Jesus stopped and entered in from eternity into time to die for your sins, to bring you home to the Father's presence. So never forget that. The the ministry of prayer and the bold praying and interceding and ministering to people that we want to do, it has to be an overflow of that love that has been poured out from heaven into our own hearts by the Holy Spirit of God and flow through us like rivers of living water. This is why it's so important to be reminded often in the scriptures of who you are to God. Because if you don't believe that that God loves you and is pleased with you because Jesus Christ is in you and that you are his son or daughter and that he dotes on you and that he enjoys you, you're going to have a really hard time showing that kind of love towards other people and convincing them that God actually loves them. And that, 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 um, that deepens in the place of prayer and being in the word. <clears throat> Okay, I love that Jesus stopped. That really grabbed my attention when I was reading this week. So Jesus says, call him over. God pays attention to people who are persistent and bold in their prayers. Jesus stops. Says, Hold on. He stops a whole multitude of people. He's probably kind of being ushered along. And he stops. And he says, call, call him over. Him? No, 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 Lord. He's just, that's, that's Bartimaeus. He's just... You're the rabbi. Call him. Jesus knew 
what his problem was. But he calls him over. And he, Bartimaeus comes running to him. In verse 51, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? People say, well, if God knows everything and God knows all my problems, why doesn't he just provide for me and da 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 Why doesn't he just this or why doesn't God just do this if he knows everything and he has all power? He wants relationship. He wants people who will talk to him and express the needs of their hearts, even though he does know them. Jesus says that very clearly. But he wants to hear it from our lips because it blesses him when people come to him with faith and actually believe that he's the good father that he says he is who wants to provide. And so Jesus, he knew exactly what Bartimaeus needed, but he stopped, called him over, and he said, what would you like me to do for you, son? It's an act of compassion. And I want to suggest to you that we will become a healing church when we learn to listen well and to discern people's needs by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I've done a lot of prayer ministry and teams of people in different events and meetings and churches, where, whether we're praying for healing or just general needs for people. And, and every once in a while, you know, I, I get with someone and I'm just kind of like, I just kind of got to step back and let them do it because they're just like machine gunning prayers, right? Like, they just, the person comes up, tells their thing really quick. And, the, and it's like the person doesn't know how or is insecure about trying to listen and ask the Holy Spirit for insight, that they just start blasting opera. Oh, thank you, God. You love him so much. You love him so much. And I was at a meeting once a while ago and I was ministering with someone and this person came forward. And as soon as uh, this person that was coming forward for ministry, as soon as I saw him coming up, I just had this sense in my heart that maybe it was possible that there was some sin that needed to be dealt with and confessed in, in his life. Okay. Because I was listening to the Holy Spirit and um, but the person that I was ministering with, he shared some things about some conditions that he had, um, mental conditions and things like that. And I thought, I really think that maybe maybe I should take him over to the side and talk to him and just see because I really feel like the Lord is impressing something like that on my heart. But the person that I was ministering to, oh, thank you, God, so much for your love. You know, John Doe or whatever his name is. Thank you. You just hold him close to your heart and blah, blah, blah. And he's blessed. And we just and just machine gunning all of these prayers. And God, God bless this person. They were really trying to do the right, right thing. But I didn't even have the opportunity to actually respond to what I was hearing from the Holy Spirit to minister to the person in the way that I think they really needed it. You see, so my point is that we need to listen when we pray. Jesus stopped and he asked people. What's going on? Tell me, right? And we know that he was always listening to the Father. He was listening to the Spirit and discerning the hearts and conditions of people. Okay. So we need to learn to listen well and to discern people's needs by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will say, hey, this person has unforgiveness. You need to confront them about that and have that confess because it's blocking God's presence from flowing in their life or this person um, has this other uh, pain need that they haven't yet told you about. And I want you to tell them that because then they're going to realize that God is speaking to you and they're going to have faith that I want to heal them. Right. So we need to listen well. We need to listen well when we pray and when we minister to people. Jesus did that. It's an act of compassion and it helps us kind of get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit minister to the person when we listen and we just speak and we pray over the person as we feel the Lord impressing things on our hearts. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. So our prayer should be, God, help me get out of the way so that you can minister to this person in the way that you need to. <laughs> but use me. Use me. 
to do it. Okay. Verse 51, Jesus asks him in Bartimaeus, says, Rabbi, I want to see. And Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. It's a phrase that we see several times in the gospel, probably more than several times. And I just want to make a couple of comments about it. Um, what is this faith that seems to actually usher in healing into people's lives? And there is often uh, a belief that faith is sort of an inner, subjective, mystical state where I feel a certain level of uh, emotional trust in God's presence or something like that, that I now am open up to receive uh, whatever it is that I need. Now, I want to say there is a subjective element to faith, right? We are subjective creatures. We have minds and wills and spirits and hearts. Now, there is a suggestive aspect, but sometimes what happens is that we're putting more faith in our ability to believe than we are in the Son of God himself. Sometimes we're, we're, our faith is in our faith rather than in God's faithfulness. Um. So try, this is just a practical thing, when you're ministering prayer to somebody, try being, you're ministering in the spirit and try gazing at Jesus and meditating on him as you pray for them and see his willingness and his compassion to touch the person and, and heal them. Sometimes if I'm praying for people at the altar, I pray, praying for healing or something, I just try to, in my mind's eye, see Jesus behind them with his hand on them. And I'm looking at him and just kind of praying whatever words come out of my mouth, but I'm trusting in him to bring the healing power. Faith is... More than it is an inner subjective state that we work up of our own strength, it's not so much that as it is acting in response to God's revelation of himself. That's one definition that I want to give of faith. Faith is acting in response to God's revelation of himself. Where is that revelation for us? In his word. Okay. So stepping out and actually living as if what this says is true, including laying hands on the sick and believing that they will recover, is faith. Okay. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to feel the anointing or uh, you're going to feel the faith, but sometimes just stepping out and doing something as if the God that says he's true and is like he is in that book is itself an act of faith. Naaman the Syrian was told to go and wash in the Jordan seven river seven times. And in doing so, was healed. He didn't have the right interstate. He was like, why do I have to go in the Jordan? There's a million other rivers. Can I go in a nicer river than this? And imagine if after six times he got up and he said, you know what? This is so stupid. I don't feel any kind of faith. But he just did it. And he went down that seventh time and he came up and his leprosy was completely cleansed and he had baby skin. Sometimes faith is more about walking in an obedient response to God's revelation of himself than it is a, a state of our thoughts or our heart. Um, faith can be simply responding to the Spirit's prompting to go talk with someone that you don't know, right? The lady with the lottery ticket at Wawa, I don't know. Praying with someone. Okay. Enough of, enough of I, think I've, I think I've belabored that point. Now, I want to close out the passage um, it says this in the second half of verse 52 immediately he received his sight and followed jesus along the road and this is that this is the deep healing that happens the physical healings are physical healings when god heals someone physically it's a sign of who he is in what he wants to do for the whole person 
including forgiving their sins and making them whole, reconciling them with himself. And so what we have going on here is a physical healing of blind eyes in, in the deeper healing the, the 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 root of it is a spiritual healing because this man moves from uh, being a, a blind beggar to getting up on the road and becoming a follower of jesus it's like a picture of salvation and so there's a contrast going on what mark is doing here with a gentleman who encountered jesus a few verses ago it was a few weeks ago in our reading the rich man who came to jesus i follow all the commandments i'm a i'm a moral goody two-shoes i do everything right and Jesus says, you lack one thing, sell your riches and give them to the poor and come follow me. And it says he went away sad because he couldn't let go of that, what entangled him. And he was spiritually unable, spiritually, he remained spiritually blind. And Mark is showing us a contrasting picture of a man who now is not rich. He's quite the opposite. He's low on the social status, way low, whereas the rich man would have been up here very noble and honorable in his society. And this man is way down on the rungs of the ladder of society, and yet his spiritual eyes are opened. In his desperation, he cries out, and his spiritual eyes are opened, and he begins to follow Jesus. The Lord is looking for those people who are broken, sinful, dirty at the lower rungs of society. And his eyes are on them, right? Not on the proud and boastful. So, this is the the final, uh, or second to final point. We will become a healing church when we present the gospel in all its truth, okay? Because this is the deep healing that happens here, is somebody who begins to follow Jesus. We will become a healing church when we present the gospel in all of its truth and its accompanying supernatural power so that people become fully committed fully surrendered followers of Jesus. Amen? It's said that um, the DNA of a corn kernel, when it gets planted and a new plant sprouts up, that the same DNA is in that one seed, that one little kernel. It's in all of every kernel that's on the new cob that grows. And so we have been, the Bible says, born of the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. The same spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you if you know Jesus. Paul calls it Christ in you, the hope of glory. So you have Jesus' DNA. We have Jesus' DNA as a church. Let's live like we really do so that people can get healed. Spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. All of those things. Jesus says in a number of places that those who believe in me will do greater things than I did. They'll do the same works. They'll lay their hands on the sick and recover. They'll cast out demons. They'll do all of it. They'll do the same thing. And so healing of sickness should be a regular part of our experience because it is one of the pieces of healing the whole person by bringing them close to Jesus. And it's an important part of it. And we will become a healing church when we preach the gospel and demonstrate it with power. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being a healing God who calls a healing church into existence. On Pentecost, Lord, you you lit up the room and you called into existence a church that was full of the DNA of your Son to live, move, to breathe, to preach, to proclaim in the power of the Spirit, the gospel that heals, 
And we're living in a season of life where it could not be any more clear that what is needed is the healing power of Jesus in the lives of people around us. So, Lord, we repent of responding to all that we see in the world with despair, discouragement, anger, rage, and opposition. And we ask that you would give us a heart of mercy and grace towards the people who are the worst of our enemies to see that what they need is healing. They need healing that comes through hearing the truth of the gospel. And they need a healing that comes through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that today in our midst that we'd experience your power, that we would experience healing, that we would experience the freedom that comes from knowing the God of love. Lord, we thank you, Father, how deep the Father's love for us. Lord, we thank you for that truth. We worship you, Lord. We ask that you'd continue to move in our midst this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have some opportunity.